Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of The Water Cooler. We are with you on this fine Sunday afternoon as the MLB ALCS is going into Game 6. It's going to be a good one, especially if you've been keeping up with what happened the other day with the big fight between the Astros and the Rangers. But just to go over where we're at in the series right now, currently the Astros are up 3-2. to two. And they have all the momentum. So they blew out Texas in game four. It was like 10 to nothing or like 11 to two, something crazy like that. And they went, out, they went down two games to nothing, the Astros did. So Texas got the first two. But ever since then, it's been all Astros. They've won three straight. And there was a big bench-clearing brawl over the weekend after game five and what happened was Adolet Garcia got hit by a pitch and for some reason he decided to get mad at the catcher instead of the pitcher the second he got hit he just turned around and started yelling at the catcher they got in each other's faces the ref the umpire had to come in and get between them then of course you know how baseball is the benches get cleared everybody's up in each other's faces no punches were thrown nothing too crazy happened but it was just a classic baseball bench clearing altercation and I think MLB overreacted <clears throat> they ejected like four or five players involved uh, Bobby Abreu who threw the pitch that hit Garcia he's got a two-game suspension now there's been a lot of debate over whether the pitch was an intentional hit or not if you look at what was going on in the game it was the eighth inning the Astros were up to so I don't really see why they would have taken that time to hit Garcia like it didn't do anything for him because there was already a runner on first it just put two runners on base at a time when they only had a two-run lead. So from a strategic standpoint, if you're going to bean somebody, that would not have been the time to do it. After he hit Garcia, he immediately did like a my bad gesture. Like, I don't know. It could go either way because the way he got hit, it hit him like mid-shoulder. But it definitely wasn't just a graze. Like, he got hit pretty solidly so I mean it could go either way but honestly I would lean towards a wild pitch they just happen sometimes and there's not much you can do about it really but regardless of what he intended the result is he's out for the next two games now I mean lucky as a closing pitcher it's not like they can't survive two games without him so Hopefully he does a better job staying warm than the Braves did if the Astros make it out of the series because, who knows, apparently a week off means more than you would think it does. But, like I said, the Astros have all the momentum right now. And honestly, going back to the fight, though, the reason I don't think that there should have been so many people ejected is just because no punches were thrown. Like, if it was an actual fight, then... Like, I get it, you have to punish somebody because you can't just allow players to throw hands all over each other. But, I mean, if tensions get flared 
the people jaw back and forth, and that's it. Like, just everybody go back to your dugouts, calm down, chill out. Like, I don't think you got to eject somebody just because he got hit by a pitch and he said some choice words to the catcher. Like, I just think it's an overreaction. But I can understand it from a business standpoint. You want to try to crack down and disincentivize that behavior no matter what. So I can understand it. I just think it's silly and soft that you can get ejected just from fussing at somebody. But it is what it is, and hopefully nobody else gets suspended for the rest of the postseason because that's just not how you want to see series get impacted. You like to see the best team win because they're the best team. Not because the other team had a good player who lost his temper for a minute or two and then he can't play in an important game. But, I mean, to me the story of these two championship series, I'll just go ahead and jump to the Phillies for a second. They're up 3-2 to two against uh, the Rangers right now. My bad, I had a blank. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so at the moment, they've also got the momentum. They should honestly be on their way to the World Series, but they had an eighth-inning meltdown in Game 4 and gave up three runs and ended up getting beat by one. So, if it weren't for that, it'd be a wrap, but they've got to play a game six going into tomorrow. So as a Braves fan, I hope the Phillies do as well as they can because it's always nice to be able to say you got beat by a World Series winner or a World Series runner-up. But we'll see. Kyle Schwarber's been going off. He hit five home runs. He's batting uh, over 400. And he actually set a record the other day for the most home runs hit by a lefty in playoff history, passing Reggie Jackson. So, I mean, that's rarefied air to be in. Bryce Harper's doing good. He's batting 313. Cattell Marte, he's pretty much the main guy running the show for the Rangers, 429 average right now. And just my overall point, though, my biggest takeaway from these two series is, is the teams that are leading right now, the Astros and the Phillies, if you just go on baseball reference and you look at who all is getting the hits on their team, it's just like their entire roster, everybody's participating, that hitting wealth is being shared. Like the Astros have nine players who are batting over 250 right now. Texas only has three. Texas, hold up. <laughs> I'm losing track on who's playing who in the playoffs right now. Let's see, the Phillies are playing the Diamondbacks. I knew that. But anyways, anyways. Texas only has three players that are batting over 250, whereas the Astros have nine. And when it comes down to a team play versus a top-heavy team, the team that's on all cylinders is going to win nine times out of ten against a team that only has a handful of players doing the majority of the work. And it's the same thing with the Phillies. I mean, they have a diverse amount. Everybody's getting 
one or two hits in the series. There's, I don't know if they even have a single person on their roster that hasn't gotten a hit yet. Whereas the Diamondbacks, <laughs> there we go, they don't. They have like I don't know a couple players that are batting below 200, and they have some players like I said that are batting 400. It's just very top heavy, and the team that's well rounded is going to win every time. And it's one of those things where sometimes that's just how it goes. As a coach, there's not really much you can do to get your players that are batting 150 to snap into it at this point. Like they either show up or they don't. I mean, a lot of that has to do with pitching, but, I mean, sometimes it's just, it's momentum, and it's one of those things, it's kind of like charisma. It's like, you don't know what causes momentum shifts a lot of the time in sports, but you know it when you see it. The same way, like, you don't know what causes somebody to have charisma and somebody not to, it's just, that person just has it. And there are so many times when you're watching a game you can just tell that momentum shift the moment it happens. And if you're the opposing team that's on the wrong side of that momentum shift, you pretty much just have to do everything you can to halt it. Which is why when the Braves were playing the Phillies, I was so big on saying they had to balk, or not balk, but like walk Bryce Harper on purpose every time, or beat him, or do whatever you got to do just because. If you can try to nip that momentum in the bud as quickly as possible, then you might have a chance to get back in the series. Whereas if you let it run away with you, like the Rangers have with the Astros, where they go up two to nothing and now they're down three to two, then they're gonna get put out tonight. I mean maybe they do somehow find a way to snap back into it, but I mean it's just the way the winds are blowing, I think the Astros are gonna wrap it up tonight. But I definitely don't see them blowing uh, the next two games after winning three in a row. And I mean, same with the Phillies. Like, if which I mean, hey, the Diamondbacks after they let Game Four they squeaked by. If they would have bounced back in Game Five and gone to tie up the series, then I think that would be a completely different scenario. But here we are, and I think they got crushed six to one. And that's how you knit momentum in the butt. Because after game uh, four, it's like the Diamondbacks had that hope. Like, hey, maybe we can turn this around. Kind of like the Braves in game two. But then, nope, the Phillies just bounce back and absolutely tear their heart out. And that's the way you got to do it. And we'll see what happens. But right now, it's looking like the Phillies and the Astros are going to be in the World Series which is a repeat of last year. So hopefully the Phillies can pull it off this time and one, to get a championship for the National League and two, not let the Astros win the World Series again because they just need to be put to bed, rebuild, let the whole cheating stink get off of them because it still just doesn't sit right with me that they're in playoff contention. It shows you how much of a slap on the wrist they got from the whole cheating controversy. Not to get into all that, but those are just my takeaways from the two series that's going on right now. And my apologies to any Diamondbacks fans for forgetting that y'all were in the playoffs. Y'all are much deserved in it. The true Cinderella team of the playoffs. 
because I definitely didn't think they'd make it this far. But here they are, potentially going to the World Series if they win the next two games. Not likely, but stranger things have happened. And on to college football, which was a very exciting week. First, the biggest game of the week was easily Ohio State versus Penn State. And unfortunately for anybody that was just rooting for chaos, Ohio State did manage to beat Penn State, and it really wasn't that competitive. For the most part, they shut them out. Penn State finally got a touchdown in the fourth quarter, but by that point, the game was basically over. But they just they got held to two field goals before that in the first and second quarter. And I mean, the story of the game was just Marvin Harrison catching all over the Penn State defensive head. He had 11 catches, 162 yards, just once again showing why he's the best receiver in college football. At the same time, as much as he did a fantastic job yesterday putting it to Penn State, Penn State put, him, put it to themselves just as much. To quote uh, Vince McMahon, to paraphrase from him, it wasn't Ohio State that screwed Penn State. Penn State screwed Penn State because they only converted on third downs one out of 16 times. Now, I'm sorry. I didn't play football in high school or ever, but even I know that if you're only going to convert one of 16 third downs, then you're not going to win the game. It's just as simple as that. That is, like I was saying a couple weeks back about how there are two different types of clutchness. There's the game-winning clutchness and like the last minute of the fourth quarter, you hit the game-winning shot or you make the amazing Hail Mary. There's that. And then there's converting on a third down when you really need a touchdown to stay in the game. And that's a kind of clutchness that Penn State was lacking yesterday. And, I mean, like I just said, they kept having to settle for field goals, and it stunts their momentum, and it just kind of killed them in the cradle before they could even get going. And they also suffered from a lot of penalties. I saw people on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it, were mad that they were saying the refs are biased, which, I mean, everybody says that when things aren't going their team's way. I wouldn't take it that seriously. But there were a couple penalties that were a little bit, could have gone either way, kind of extreme. But on the whole, I mean, I think they were just playing sloppy and playing uninspired, which is sad because, like I said, this was the biggest game of the weekend. And you would think they would have been more motivated to take down Ohio State and put themselves in natty contention than they seem to be. I mean, 1-16 in 16 on third down just doesn't sound to me like a team that's going out there trying to do all they can to get into the top four. Because if Penn State would have won yesterday, there's a good shot they would have jumped up after Florida State almost got knocked off by Duke. They ended up coming back, and they're safe, but... I mean, they certainly, there's a good argument to be made that they should have dropped out of the top four after that. But Penn State has dropped down to 10, and Alabama's back in the top 10 after, a, I don't even know what you would call that game against Tennessee yesterday. The best way I could describe it is just a tale of two halves. 
the first half, Alabama was down 20 to 7, and in the second half, they beat Tennessee 27 to nothing. And it just shows you how inconsistent Alabama's been this entire season. And I mean, it, they're just such a hard team to gauge because when they're on, they're on. I mean, 27 to nothing in one half, like that's if they played like that for the entire season, they would be in the top four. But it's just you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> and if Nick Saban can somehow get them to play like they did in the second half consistently, then Alabama could very well make it to the playoffs. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, <laughs> it's just really interesting to see what – this Alabama team can do because they could be a dark horse natty contender if they go undefeated the rest of the season and they beat Georgia in the SEC championship they might make the playoffs I mean who knows whereas they could lose to LSU and get shut out and both of those scenarios I think them losing to LSU is a lot more likely than them beating Georgia but I mean they're both seemingly like there's a good shot that either one of those could be a world that we live in and those are two completely different outcomes season-wise they could either not make the playoffs or they could win the national championship I mean that's just been Alabama football the last two seasons now I think they should have made the playoffs last year but nobody was asking me I don't know how many subscribers your podcast has to get before you get to vote on who makes the college playoffs but Hopefully we get there at some point. I mean, Texas went up. Oklahoma stayed the same, even though they almost they almost got beat too. I was really surprised Alabama didn't go up more. I mean, Tennessee is ranked. They were ranked 17th. They're 21 now. And I think if Alabama had played like they did in the second half and just blown Tennessee out of the water, then they might have jumped up more. But... As it stands, moving up two spots is better than nothing. But there is a good argument to be made that they should be up in the seven range, I think. I mean, they should certainly, I feel like, be above Oregon. But, I mean, because you got to think, Alabama's one loss to Texas, who was in the top four for most of the season, and now they're in the top seven. So... I mean, they really, I don't know, I think they should have jumped up at least one more spot. But, is what it is. UGA, just, I mean, their cakewalk continues. I think, uh, since I've been keeping up with college football, which is about six or seven years now, Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan have made the playoffs every single year, I feel like. I mean, I could be wrong. I'll have to look at the stats on that and maybe get back to y'all next week. But I have a strong feeling that at least some combination of those three have always been there. And if you add in Alabama and Clemson into the mix, then I think that's just been the playoffs. Every I know TCU last year, but that those five teams have pretty much been in the playoffs every single year since I've been paying attention at least. But it's interesting to see where the season will go from here. We're kind of in that home stretch about to get started. 
I mean, the top teams have kind of all gotten through their boring parts of the schedule. I mean, they do a good job of keeping the boringness pretty scattered throughout the season. But, I mean, Alabama has some big games coming up. Georgia beat Florida, which is no real surprise. But still, I mean, Florida is Florida. So, you could, or not Florida. They didn't even play this week. Georgia plays Florida next week. I've just gotten so used to Georgia doing a number on whatever team they play that it doesn't surprise me. I just assume they beat some bottom feeder SEC team. But Georgia plays Florida next week, and Florida's not ranked, but still, that's a rivalry game. You never know. Miracles can happen, or nightmare fuel, depending on your uh, perspective on how good you want Georgia to do. I mean, looking at Georgia's schedule right now, pretty much the only interesting games are uh, Mississippi and Tennessee. I mean, Missouri's ranked 16th, but no offense to Kelp, my old roommate. Uh, I, I don't think they have a shot of beating Georgia, and I think that's just because of what conference they play in. But uh, Georgia and Ole Miss, that'll be an interesting game for sure. And Tennessee, less interesting, but you never know. Like I said, crazy things can happen. With Alabama, we got our bye week coming up. And then we pretty much just play LSU. And from there, it is hopefully smooth sailing. I mean, if we lose to Auburn, Auburn, you never know. But if we lose to Chattanooga or Kentucky, then we got some big problems. And I'm surprised we're not playing Austin P this year just because I'm pretty sure we play Austin P like every single year before we play Auburn, which maybe they're just not counting that on the schedule for some reason. But I'm quite sure, let me look it up. Because Austin P is one of those games where every year I get so annoyed that we have to play them. Because it's like such a waste. It's always the start of Thanksgiving break. And you get tickets for it. And you just never go to the game. Because you would rather go home than watch them play Austin P at 10 o'clock. But yeah, it looks like we're not playing them this year. Which, thank goodness. I mean... It is always good to see a school like that get the money that goes with playing Alabama, but as a former student, that was just always a waste of a week. Now, going on to the NFL, Roger Goodell just got an extension for three more years as commissioner, and I think that's awesome. As much as he gets criticized, aside from David Stern, I really can't think of a better commissioner in the big three sports than Roger Goodell. Has he handled everything perfectly? No. But when you look at what all the controversies that he's gotten the NFL through, now maybe you can say that if he had done a better job as commissioner, they wouldn't have had so many controversies. Then there's certainly an argument to be made. But, I mean, I think he's done a pretty good job. Honestly, and I mean it makes sense. They would keep him for three more years. Why rock the boat when you don't have to? I mean, it's not like he's super old. I feel like the commissionership He's only 64 
is pretty much Roger Goodell's until he doesn't want it. I mean, some people say he sides with the owners too much. Some people say he's not as harsh. Or like, I was his <laughs> uh, suspensions. The like amount he goes out for suspensions makes no sense to me. And I think he should really adjust his priorities for some of it. Like Calvin Ridley gets fined an entire season for betting on FanDuel. Which, I mean, I get the whole integrity of the game argument. But at the same time, you have Deshaun Watson getting suspended like six games. And it's just like, okay, you should probably readjust what you think is harsher there. But on the whole, as far as if you look at the NFL when he got it versus where it is now, I mean, he's done a good job as much as I complain about it, making the game safer and making it more profitable. I mean, as bad as the ratings were a couple years back, the NFL is back and better than ever. And, I mean, he got him through COVID. Like, it's just, at this point, he's been commissioner for so long, and that experience is invaluable. And why would you trade it in just to have some newbie with less experience take over one of the biggest businesses in the world at a time when, if you think about technology, with all the streaming stuff that's coming out now, like as far as any type of television-based product, like this is a tumultuous period to be in charge of. And I want the steady hand to guide the ship. So kudos to Roger Goodell for three more years. Now, I talked at the start of the show about how there was a bench-clearing fight in the ALCS, but there was also a fight between the Ravens and the Titans last week. And as much as I love a good baseball fight, I cannot stand a football fight. Just because its very concept is so stupid. How are you going to fight somebody when you're in full pads and a helmet? Unless you're going to do a Miles Garrett and just take your helmet off and try to pummel somebody with it. Like, it's like, what are you going to do? Punch him and break your hand? It's just like, just get back to playing. And if you really want to you know, let some anger out on the guy, tackle him a little bit harder than you usually would. Like, it's, just, it's like, what what can you do in a football fight That's they're not already doing in the game? So, I mean, it's just a waste of everybody's time and apparently a waste of money, too, because Odell got fined over 30 k for his involvement. Basically, what happened is somebody took umbrage at a hit because they thought it was too low and got up. They started smack talking, kind of like what happened with Garcia getting hit by the pitch. He starts jawing with the catcher. And everybody saw that and goes, not my teammate. I got to go back him up. And so then the whole team gets involved, and they're all fussing at each other. And one thing leads to another, and Odell is short 30K, which (laughs) is... Not that much for somebody. Let's see what his net worth is. I can't imagine that's that much money to him, which is interesting. That see, so yeah, he's worth forty million, and his annual NFL salary is fifteen million. So, I mean, it always sucks. Like thirty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars. But at the same time, I'm not gonna be crying for Odell. <laughs> if anything, I might be crying for those 
uh, lesser caliber players who decided to back up their teammate and who that twenty thirty thousand dollar fine hits them a little bit harder, but is what it is. Football fights are stupid. And the Ravens might on long shot possibility might have something to distract them from that if they can land uh Shaquan Barkley in a trade. Now this just came out this week, but uh Barkley has apparently his name's been circulating in trade talks. He's only got one year left on his contracts. So the Bills are thinking that with his injury history being what it is, that they should flip him now while they can in case he walks in free agency or he makes them pay out a big contract that they don't think he's worth. And one of the contending teams possibly to get him is the Ravens. Now, if this were five years ago, a lineup of Lamar Jackson, Odell, and Saquon Barkley, that would just put nightmares into opposing teams, and it'd still be pretty potent. But Odell is not what he used to be. Jaquan's always hurt. So, I mean, that would be my favorite trade destination for him, just purely for the fantasy aspect of it. Not like fantasy football, but just like imagining him playing with Lamar Jackson and Odell. But who knows where he ends up. A lot of people are saying that they shouldn't trade him at all. But... I don't know, I mean, I see the logic in it. And if you do look at it purely business, I mean, one of the people saying that they shouldn't trade him at all is Shaquan himself. He says that he wants to stay. He's got a family. He said here, like, he's set up nicely. He likes his area. So, depending on how nice the Bills front office is, maybe they'll keep him just out of loyalty, but that sounds very unlike the sports management that I'm accustomed to. So we'll see how that shakes out. A lot of people have compared it to the Christian McCaffrey trade, but unlike CMC, uh, Shaquan doesn't have multiple years left on his deal, so there's a lot less leverage for the Bills. And it's one of those things where if you're going to do it, they should probably hurry up and do it quick just so... Like the longer you wait, the more his value goes down. He could get injured. And that's just the thing. Like He just has not had a consistently healthy season in a while. So his value is really diminished because of that. Then there's also the fact he's a running back, which in the current QB-centric climate, it's really not the position it used to be. Like, if this were the 90s, then it would be no question you don't trade him. But the way the game works now, running bats are kind of interchangeable. I add that onto the fact that he is a big name and can demand big money. So, if you're the Bills, do you want to be tied down long term with and give up a lot of money for a player who, one, is at a lot less valuable position and is also routinely injured. So, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but whatever team he does go to if he does get traded, that could be a game changer if he can stay healthy. 
I mean, I think the Ravens would be fun. I mean, the Bengals, that would be pretty crazy too, him and Joe Burrow. So there's a lot of interesting developments that could happen. Uh, Devonta Smith is also talking about being ha unhappy in uh, not Devonta Smith, Devonta Adams is talking about being unhappy in Las Vegas. And so he might get traded too. I'm pretty sure the trade deadline is next week. So we'll see how that shakes out. But just get ready for a lot of big NFL news coming out of this trade deadline because everybody's going to be making the moves and we'll see who ends up making the biggest. I don't think there will be any moves realistically made that completely change the landscape of the NFL right now just because, I mean, most of the trades – that are being talked about aren't for just amazing. Like they're for good players, but nobody that I could just instantly see them going somewhere and making somebody a favorite. So we'll just have to see how that shakes out. There's been another beef involving Stephen A. Smith, one that I just not important really I just think it's funny so last week Stephen A was talking about how good the Dolphins have been doing they're five and one right now they're leading the AFC East and Stephen A said that Tua is getting too much credit and that he thinks that the Dolphins are only where they're at right now because of Tyreek Hill and the person who got the most upset about that was Tyree Kill. And I don't know if he didn't watch the entire segment or what. Or maybe he was just being a good teammate. But he came out and he said that Tua is one of the best quarter. So what he, Stephen A. said was that all Tua has to do is just toss it like five or seven yards. Give it to Tyreek and Tyreek can get you down the field. And... So Tyreek took it as an insult to Tua's throwing ability, and he clapped back saying that Tua is an MVP candidate, one of the best throwers in the league, like, that's my boy, like, don't be throwing shade at him. And so it's just funny that Tyreek Hill was having to defend Tua against his own great production. <laughs> and it just shows how the media can really drive a wedge between star athletes because anytime there's a team with two amazing players, it always comes down to whose team is it. And that narrative has worked to really just drive a wedge into a lot of good duos for no reason. I mean, that's what got Shaq and Kobe to break up. Shaq and Penny. LeBron and Kyrie had that issue. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Like, it's just silly. You would think if you're a great athlete and you have a great teammate that would be good enough and let's just put the ego at the door which I mean maybe a great athlete putting his ego at the door is a contradiction in and of itself but I mean let's just focus on winning and playing our sport at the purest most high level we possibly can and not worry about 
whose name gets put on the front of the newspaper clipping. Because the way it always works, when people say the debate over whose team it is, it really comes down to this. When we're playing another team, like we'll just take the Warriors, for example. Say the Warriors are playing the Cavs in the 2017 Finals. Is it Curry and the Warriors against LeBron and the Cavs, or is it KD and the Warriors against LeBron and the Cavs? Because whenever the media makes a headline on a sporting event, they always put star player, comma, team versus other team, star player, comma, that team. So that's just like the way that sports media promotes sporting events. And that little minor detail has wrecked havoc on so many different franchises that it's honestly hilarious when you think about the impact it has had versus the actual importance of whose name goes first on the headline. I mean, Shaq even talked about when he requested trade from the Magic, one of the things that kick-started his beef with Penny Hardaway was that Shaq was injured and Penny like, took off and just played great while Shaq was out. And when Shaq came back, they started promoting the Magic games as Penny and the Magic versus whoever. And Shaq took offense to that. He was like, Penny and the Magic, this is my team. And so to see them kind of trying to do this with the whole Tua and the Dolphins instead of Tyreek and the Dolphins, I respect Tyreek for standing his ground and hyping up his second star instead of either one trying to not, I mean, he could have just stayed quiet, which, I mean, he do what you want. But he could very well have secretly been happy that Stephen A. was saying that the Dolphins were his team. And a lot of athletes would be happy about something like that. And it's just minor. I mean, at the end of the day, like I was saying, just if you have two all-time talents on the same team, just enjoy seeing them play together instead of trying to put them at odds with each other. And, I mean, the only way typically having two all-time talents on the same team works is when they're at different points in their career. Like the prime example is Magic and Kareem. Because they came together at the perfect time where to start with they were they played together for about nine seasons. And for the first four or whatever, Magic was young, he was maturing, and Kareem was a veteran on the tail end of his prime. And after those initial four years, when Kareem started to wane, Magic started to wax, and all of a sudden there was a transition, and it was Magic's team now. And their ages synced up perfectly to where they could hand off control of the team in a way that didn't cause so much friction, whereas if you look at Kobe and Shaq, they were both in the heart of their prime at relatively the same moment. Or when it's like Jordan and Pippen, where they're both great players in their prime, but one is just clearly so much better. And don't Scottie Pippen deservedly is a top 75 player. But top 15, not even close. So it either works if the ages line up, or if one of them, despite their both being great talents, is just way more talented than the other. And 
Speaking of great talents coexisting, can't tangentially it ties in. Alex Rodriguez is unhappy with the Yankees, which sounds like a headline I would be reading 10 years ago and not in 2023. And the way it ties in is just because him and Derek Jeter had a very tumultuous relationship when A-Rod was with the Yankees because the media was always kind of pitting them against each other. Who's the best Yankees player, et cetera, et cetera. But what A-Rod is unhappy about is Joey Gallo will be wearing number 13 with the Yankees this season, which was famously A-Rod's number. And A-Rod thinks that this is disrespectful and that his jersey should be retired. Now... I'm not sure what A-Rod's major, what his take on jersey retirements are, but generally, you only retire the jersey of a player who is just immensely valuable to your franchise, and during his... During his time with the Yankees, A-Rod played nine seasons. He was a two-time MVP, a two-time Silver Slugger, a two-time home run leader, a two-time RBI leader. So A-Rod, if you look at just his resume and you look at who the Yankees have retired previously, then yes, his jersey should be retired by the Yankees. However, the steroid issue is ultimately what sinks his ship. Sorry, technical difficulties, we're back. But talking about A-Rod and the Yankees, he had a great career with them. He won a World Series, two MVPs, a couple of all-star appearances. Like The steroid thing is what's keeping him out, and I don't blame the Yankees for it. Hayrod with the Yankees was a backstage problem. I think he had a great run there. And I honestly, I don't think his jersey should be retired if the Yankees were more reserved in whose jerseys they did retire. But given that they have retired some very non-prestigious athletes' jerseys, at this point, I think they've retired 21 players' jerseys. Then to say that A-Rod isn't a top 21 Yankee, like that's just silly to me. But he cheated, and it's as simple as that. And I don't think that his jersey should be retired or that people who openly were caught doing steroids should be given honors such as jersey retirements or Hall of Fame inductions. I mean, maybe in 10, 15 years, when that generation that grew up watching A-Rod is the ones that are working in the Yankees management, that have high positions in management, that can change, but as it stands, I don't think so. And we will have to see if time will vindicate A-Rod's memory, but... I hope not. Just I mean, it's no disrespect towards A-Rod, but I mean, when you do steroids, that's just 
it's the gamble that you take. And if you don't get caught, especially when he got caught doing it, it was like 10 years after it was cool. <laughs> like, by that point, he knew what the consequences were of getting caught using steroids. And when you continue to do them, and you do get caught, then you kind of have to acknowledge that I'm not going to get a jersey retirement. I'm not going to go into the Hall of Fame. And that's the price you got to pay for doing that. And I think it sends a bad message if players that did get caught using steroids are let in the Hall of Fame and do have their jersey retired. Because that message is basically if you cheat, then we'll be mad about it and we won't let you in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot and we'll hold off on your jersey retirement but eventually if you're good enough at cheating we'll give in because I mean hey you got two MVPs because you cheated but hey two MVPs are two MVPs so here is your place in the Hall of Fame sir and that's just not a good way to go about setting any sort of standards because if I'm a say you're a young up-and-coming player like Shohei Otani or somebody like that not that he needs steroids but neither to Barry Bonds but okay he looks at Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, A-Rod all those like famous steroid guys and so far none of them have gotten in the Hall of Fame and I don't think any of them have had their jersey retired. They might have, but I'm not sure. I, let me. I'm looking at Barry Bonds right now. I think the Giants probably did retire. Yeah, the Giants retired his number. So I mean, there is some precedent for getting your jersey retired if you did steroids, but no Hall of Fame inductions. And like, why couldn't I start doing steroids? I mean, they do drug tests now, but any. Why not do steroids if you can get away with it and set insane records and just play out of your mind and you still get in the Hall of Fame, you get your jersey retired, you get like 10 MVPs or whatever, and you stand out as one of the greatest of all time, which you could have already been, but why not be even better than what you can possibly do at your best peak as a regular human? So... Hopefully, A-Rod can make peace with his life decisions, but I don't think the best way for that to be handled is for the Yankees to cave in to any sort of public pressure. And honestly, I think it's crazy that the Giants retired Barry Bonds' number. If anybody should have retired Barry Bonds' number, then it was the Pirates, because he was just crazy back in his Pirates days. I mean, he was crazy, I guess, with the Giants, too, but... I mean, with the Pirates, he won two MVPs, three gold gloves, three silver sluggers. Like, dude was just insane. And, I mean, that's the problem with Barry Bonds, just that he was such a great player before the steroids that it just made the steroid use silly because it was unnecessary. But the final two topics we have to get in today... One, Big Vic continues to lot up the preseason, so they play the Warriors, and just to show you why I don't take his preseason dominance that seriously, 
when he went through the tip-off, he went up against Steph Curry, who, just as a height differential reminder, Big Vic is 7'4", Steph Curry is 6'4". So, I mean, it's, it's a joke, the preseason is. It's fun, and it was a funny moment, but, I mean, players aren't taking it super serious. But, I did see a 90-second clip on X, and this is 90 seconds of game time. In this 90 seconds, he scored six points. One was a, no, he scored three baskets, one of which was a three-pointer, one of which got him an and one, and he got a block. And he just, he plays like a 2K character, and it's wild. And I can't wait to see him play in the regular season. But it was just crazy to watch that happen. And this I can't believe they let him get away with it, really. I mean, once again, it's the preseason, so they're not trying as hard. But, I mean, to have some scrawny guy just driving in on you like that, nobody's trying to put him on the ground, like, it's just crazy. And it's also just bizarre seeing somebody that's 7'4", facing up and playing out at the three-point line. To me, I'm an old head, mentally at least. It goes against everything that like my basketball fundamentals tell me. I think if you're 7'4", then you belong in the paint, but that's just not the league that exists anymore. But it's just weird to see. And finally, so I've talked a decent bit about WWE and AEW on this podcast, but there is two more major wrestling promotions in the country. Well, there's more than that, but they are Impact Wrestling and NWA Wrestling, the National Wrestling Alliance, which if anybody listening to this was watching wrestling in the 80s, then you know all about the NWA, but TNA, or, okay, Impact Wrestling used to be known as TNA, and it was known as TNA for about 15 years or so. It was TNA when I was a kid watching it on Spike TV. Then they changed their name to Impact, and they just announced today that starting in 2024, they will once again be going by the TNA initials. So Total Nonstop Action Wrestling will be back, and I'm excited. If you look into the history of the TNA name, if you ever heard the phrase TNA and you think it has some dirty connotations, that is not a coincidence. That's exactly where they got the name from. <laughs> but Total Nonstop Action is also just a cool name for a wrestling company, despite what the innuendo might say. And it's also just nostalgic. And I think it will bring back a lot of fans. Not maybe not a lot. It'll bring back a decent amount of fans who have zoned out of the product ever since they changed the name. Just because, oh, cool, TNA is back. Because Impact, any sports organization that doesn't have a three or four letter initial just isn't going to get as far because it doesn't roll off the tongue. Like Impact Wrestling. Now, that's just a lot to say. And so does TNA. So, I think that's a good step in the right direction. And it's good to see that 
TNA is starting to try to get back in the race because there was a time for a handful of years where they were the number two wrestling company in the world and they've just fallen off a cliff ever since Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff joined the roster, Ric Flair, like oh, they basically just became a retirement home for old WWE guys and it really hindered what they were supposed to be about which was young innovative talent like AJ Styles, the Motor City Machine Guns, Christopher Daniels, etc. And maybe they can get back to that and get back up to the point where they're a viable third contender and maybe they can get a good TV deal. I know it sounds like I mean WWE is about to leave USA Network so they could maybe fill that void by getting a deal at USA or I mean TNA used to be on Spike TV for years that was when I used to watch them so they could always go back to Spike or maybe not they could try to go back to Spike they used to have a built-in audience there and it would just be good for wrestling in general the same with the NWA so they haven't been really relevant to pro wrestling since the 80s but they are currently trying to get a major TV deal and I think if that were to work out that would just be awesome because of the iconic history of the NWA promotion I think it would be good to try to rebuild it so hopefully that works out for them and they can bring back the NWA because I mean that's where Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, the Four Horsemen, the Road Wars, like they were all NWA guys and it's just a nostalgic brand that I would love to see continue to go back to what it was at its peak and that would be awesome and hopefully that happens but that being said that's all the sports this week I will catch y'all next time